It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. If you're watching the YouTube version of this episode, which will probably be a while (laughs) from the time this episode comes out, because I am months and months behind in releasing the episodes, but I am excited to slowly start seeing headbands come back into style because I would love to be wearing a headband confidently right now. I usually wear my headphones And I'm sitting down in front of my camera and looking at my hair, which just kind of naturally frizzes out. So that combined with my incoming gray hairs, which are also kind of nuts to look at for me sometimes, it's just fascinating. Like I feel oddly insecure when my hair kind of puffs out like this. Although I think I've mentioned before, there's this creator on TikTok named Elise I think it's Elise Myers and her hair is always like that. She's always wearing it in a bun. Okay. Not always, most of the time wearing it in a bun with her hair kind of all frizzy. And I just adore her. And I, you know, when you see somebody and you feel like you've got permission to do something that you feel insecure about, that's how I feel about her. And I also feel that way about women that have similar bodies as mine I just feel comforted and gosh, it's so fascinating. I mean, I feel like I'm in this period of time of really just gaining clarity, releasing old things and having more autonomy, which is a word that came up in a episode I recorded with a guest today named Michael or Mike. His episode comes out next Friday and Oh, it was so great. It's all about happiness and joy. I can't wait for you to hear it. If it's already out, please go listen to it after you listen to this episode. We could have just talked for hours, but we limited it to an hour to be mindful of each other's time as well as your time. And that word autonomy is something I don't hear often enough, but it it does summarize a lot of what I've been feeling where I just want to feel more confident and in control of my life and oddly have not felt that much. I've, I've just been shedding a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment and security and, and not even on a deep path to do so. That's not my aim to get rid of those emotions because I don't know if you fully can. I don't know if I can ever be a hundred percent confident, right? Something that Michael or Mike, as he goes by, he and I talked about in that episode, but also offline before and after we recorded is having been in the online entrepreneurial personal development spaces, each of us for many years. Actually, he started in 2007. So he's been a year longer than me when I got into that world in 2008. There's just so much messaging about the right way to do things. And I feel like that comes down to the core, something that deeply interests me and something that I find myself drawn to with every guest on this show is it's like, hey, like, what if we just release 
those best practices and these rules, as I've talked about in some recent episodes uh, by myself, not just with guests, but I find myself like just wanting to feel more autonomous. And I'm just deeply, deeply fascinated about it. So it's going to be an ongoing theme. Today, I want to share a little bit about behind the scenes of my life. I feel like I want to embrace that more on these solo episodes. If you didn't know this, every Monday I do an episode by myself and every Friday there's a guest. And I often feel a bit insecure about my Monday episodes because I'm alone, right? All of the kind of weight and pressure falls on me and I don't want to perform. This is a word that I've been coming up against a lot recently. In fact, I'm I'm in this moment trying to recall a conversation I had with somebody and I don't even recall who it was. I thought, I don't think it was a guest because I I took some time off from recording with guests, not very purposefully, but just because of my schedule and having my computer repaired, I blocked off my schedule. Michael today was the first... I keep calling him Michael. It's fine. I think the, the his book says Michael, but I'm so intentional about calling people the way that they want. And he like communicated with me under Mike. <laughs> so I'm trying to, to remember to address people how they want to be addressed. So Mike was one of the first guests I had had in a little bit. And sometimes throws me off because I have so many conversations and meetings and things with clients and friends and forget where information comes from. But the word performance has really hit me. And regardless of where I was having this conversation, I've just been thinking about how performative many of us feel we need to be. Like, I mean, definitely from my perspective, I have felt so much pressure to perform. And this is why I'm like pausing to make sure I didn't deeply dig into this in hopes of not repeating myself, which sometimes I will do. But when I thought about that term recently, it really resonated with me because I started to think like, wow, not only do I not want to feel the pressure to perform, but I don't enjoy being around people that are performative. I really don't. I never have. I was thinking back to being in college and I had a lot of awareness. I I hesitate to say self-awareness, although that's something I've been very drawn to, but I almost wouldn't use the term self-aware for myself in college because looking back, I see how... Insecure is not quite the right word, but I'll use it for now. I just felt like a a child, you know, and it's so interesting when you have the hindsight of age and experience. Often when you're in your late teens, your early 20s, you feel like you know everything, you know who you are. I mean, certainly I had a good amount of confidence. I was really clear about wanting to study film production. I mean, my passion there was so strong. And I felt confident about going to classes and doing projects. Like I definitely had some confidence, but in terms of like an inner confidence, inner knowing, can't really say that was there, but I was curious and at least tuned into things that bothered me. And I remember in film school being very turned off with things that felt fake In fact, it showed up a lot in my writing, my screenwriting, and even some of my 
short films that I was making in film school. I was drawn to like telling the truth. I was drawn to like showing the realness, the core of things. Like that has been a thread through my work. It's actually almost making me emotional because that has been a deep passion, but I, I didn't even notice it to the point of seeing it as a passion, if this makes sense. Like at the time, it felt like some a preference, I guess. It felt like I was interested, a curious about something, but not until now am I recognizing how important that was for me. And if I even go back to high school, noticing how uncomfortable I felt around anything performance related. Ironically, though, I think maybe I didn't notice it because I've been drawn to performance, like the art of performance. Since I was little, I was very drawn to acting. I thought I was going to be an actress. I have this distinct memory, a few of them, actually. I was about to share the one when I was in Australia with my dad, which is timely because of something else I hope I get to today. So I'll probably circle back to it. But my dad took me to Australia when I was probably 14 years old. And wow, like, I remember that feeling like the biggest deal because I was deeply interested in Australia. <laughs> like, I don't know for how long, but at least a year or so before he took me on this trip, I wrote like school papers on Australia. Like I knew all these facts about Australia. I've always been someone who gets really hyper-focused on a passion and like wants to know everything about it. And I remember specifically a school project and I made like a magazine about Australia. I probably still have it somewhere with like pictures cut out and like, I mean... That was such a cool project to work on. And then my dad got an opportunity to go to Sydney, Melbourne, and the Blue Mountains, which I think I think they're in the mountains were in between Sydney and Melbourne. I'm not sure. Anyways, he went there for business and he knew I would love to go. So he took me with him. And I was like, wow, like this is so cool. And I remember on that trip, somebody asking about my passion for acting. So this is where it all ties in, right? Like I just remember like my conviction and telling people about that. And for a few years around that time, like I was set on being an actress, but I received a lot of messaging around it that was discouraging years before that. I mean, I think I was probably closer to 10 years old. I think I probably shared this before, but worth reiterating a pivotal moment in my whole life, like truly crazy to think back and to have certain moments that could be really short, how just a few words from somebody can have a deep impact on us. For me, one of those moments was my mom's friend who had been in, done a little bit of acting some modeling. I'm 10 years old thinking like she knows everything, right? You know, <laughs> growing up in this small town, she lived in New York City. So I just thought this woman must know how this world works. So she was one of my go-tos for figuring out how to become an actress. And I vividly remember her showing me how to do exercises to reduce my waist. I don't know how concerned she was with my body size, I've always kind of been a little, I don't even know what word to use. Like I've always had a rounder stomach and hips going back to when I was a little kid, like two years old, pictures of me running around, barely wearing clothes, sometimes not wearing clothes, <laughs> footage of that. 
And my body almost looks exactly the way it does today, which is kind of like comforting, right? To see like, wow, that's what my body naturally looks like when I'm not trying to starve myself or overwork it to look a certain way. Well, when I was 10 years old, my mother's friend thought I could be changed and shaped because a round stomach was not considered, I don't even know what word to use, acceptable or something for an actress. So I'm sure she was thinking out, watching out for me and just had that mindset that, oh yeah, she's a little girl. Like I can teach her how to eat well and how to work out. She'll get the body that makes her, makes it easier for her to get roles or modeling jobs or whatever else. But that moment with her, it was just the two of us and my parents or my, my childhood living room or family room, I think we called it. She showed me how to do some exercises and like It imprinted me because it was the moment where I thought, oh, okay, in order to get what I want, I have to follow these rules. I have to change myself. I have to literally shape myself. And that was pivotal for me because that was one of those key moments where I thought my body as it is right now is not acceptable. It's not good enough. It's not going to help me get this goal. And I wanted to be an actress. So I was going to do what it took. And I felt so out of control in most of the steps. I remember even like looking up on my dad's computer back when I didn't have a computer of my own. My dad was like the only one in the house with a computer. And I went on his computer to research. I was trying to figure out like, how do you become an actress? Like, (laughs) I wish I could go back in time. Like, what websites did I go to? Uh, How did I look for this stuff considering how different the internet was back then, but I was trying to figure it out on my own. And like, remember just feeling so discouraged because I needed money. It seemed I needed my parents to take me into the city into Boston, specifically a group in Massachusetts. And like, I just felt like I couldn't do much on my own, but what I could do was control what I ate. And what I could do was exercise. So it started probably 10 year plus long path of trying to shape my body. And over time, I lost my interest in it. I think when the control element comes into play, over time, I felt out of control. My parents weren't that interested in helping me become an actress. So I just kind of like put it to the wayside. But when I realized that I could make my own movies with my video camera, my dad's camera at first, I saved up all my money and bought like this thousand dollar, maybe $800 video camera. That was seemed like the biggest expense, but I worked really hard babysitting and I got this camera. And that was the beginning of this content journey that I've been on because I was probably 15, maybe 16 when I got that camera and it was my everything. I mean, I was recording like every moment of my life from school. I have all this cool footage of my high school. I've been thinking about releasing some of it because it's like, you know, interesting for people to look back and like what school used to be like back then. (laughs) I have footage of me and my friends and my sister doing skits or just hanging out. Like, I mean, it was documented. If if TikTok had existed back then, all of that would have been on TikTok, right? But for me, it was just like my private archive and experimenting of figuring out my camera and like, you know, the art of all that. Once I got to, I learned how to edit, that was a huge deal because back then I was doing it all in camera as they call it. So, you know, on most devices, digital devices these days, everything's cut up into individual clips. But back then on that camera, I was all in a tape. So I could 
create my own editing by planning the sequence in which I film things so that when you watched it back, it looked like it had been edited together. So sometimes that would involve like redoing shots by, you know, like if I, the different angles and stuff versus now with editing, you can like shoot everything from one angle, shoot everything from another, and then cut them together back and forth and make them look nice. Anyways, it's also interesting to reflect back on that because I can see why I feel not quite burnt out, but editing and making stories and stuff like that is a little exhausting to me. And looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's because I've been doing it for most of my life. It comes very naturally to me. I've developed a, a skill set. I was trained in that by going to film school. Like, it is second nature for me to do videos. It is second nature for me to show up on camera. It's just like been my life. But now I have so much resistance to editing because it's just like tiring. <laughs> it's almost like when you see celebrities, Jim Carrey immediately comes to mind who just are not making as much as they used to. Like he's probably just over it. He wants to do other things. Maybe it no longer resonates with him and that's okay. Like he can retire from that career and do something completely different. And I don't even know fully where I was going with all of this. I, oh, it was because of my, <laughs> my natural desire to experience like realness. And you would think, oh, in performance, that's what I was getting at. So you would think that I might have been drawn to making documentaries because I loved just capturing life. I loved the truth of things, the realness. I didn't necessarily like when it felt like something was fake, but what I actually enjoyed was almost the in-between, like finding how to convey things through a performance that felt real and how to connect with people on a deeper level and like feel like I could trust them, that they're reliable and stable, like all of that stuff started to become really important to me as I developed on this journey. And so all of my projects, it was like striving to draw out human emotions, like either to make somebody feel a certain way or to inspire them or to find performances within myself or others that I was working with that felt true and and they I guess felt deep and rich and it's so interesting cuz I it helps me understand why I get so triggered by superficial conversations like small talk I also really don't enjoy any sort of performance that feels transactional Meaning like somebody is performing this way to get something from me. They're being nice to me to get something from me or they're making this social media content to get me to buy something. Like you can feel that, can't you? I'm curious if you feel the same way. Like I'm so sensitive to it. I can in, in some ways like see through that. But when somebody like puts their heart into something, there feels like this depth to it or they're really interested in connecting with me one-on-one, -on -one, it's like, my spirit lights up and I'm like, yes, please. Like, thank you. And it's so interesting how rare that is. It's also interesting to look back and see that even the things that feel so modern and particular to us in this current time frame of 2022, like there have been versions of this throughout our history. It's just that 
the current technology has shaped it in a certain way, right? Like TikTok, even though that didn't exist when I was in high school, I was still basically making TikTok videos just on my camera and not sharing it with people. And that in itself is interesting too, because I think the challenge now is that many people can relate to the same experiences I had as a teenager of wanting to play around with tech and equipment and like master things and wanting to find their sense of self through a performance or through capturing things. You know, even those of us who capture our trips or concerts we go to like that, there's a desire to do that. And technology has allowed us to do that quite easily, even though now many of us associate that with taking us out of the present moment. I think like most of us has leaned into that desire to just capture something, the desire to be creative with something like it it really makes sense. But when it turns into something that feels transactional. I think that's where it almost becomes a bit corrupt. And then it like starts to suck out the life of it. Speaking of Elise, who I mentioned with her frizzy hair, she posted a video on TikTok recently. I don't know exactly when, but I saw it yesterday when I, as of the time I'm recording this. And she was crying saying that she did not go on TikTok to become well-known. She actually loves the process of creating TikTok, the sharing of her her videos. Like if you if you've ever or if you haven't seen her, in addition to her being authentic with her hair just kind of messier than your typical girl on a platform like TikTok, she's telling stories. She's got an incredible ability to tell stories. And she comes across as so authentic. She's very compelling. And she also uses visuals of like these emojis popping up on the screen. And it's just really endearing. Sometimes a little too formulaic. I find myself not as interested in her because I've seen, I feel like I've, I know her formula and that would be a little bit of a drawback. So I wonder like, does she use that formula because she feels like she has to, or, or that's just how she is. But she was crying in this one video because it sounded like Well, first of all, she admitted she got triggered because somebody wrote a critical article or something. I don't know if it was a blog post. Someone was cruel to her, critical in a negative way, kind of making fun of her. And it it triggered her. I was thinking as I watched her video, wow, whatever it was that somebody wrote or said about her, I'm sure that would hurt me too. And I loved seeing her sharing her raw emotions about this. And she kept repeating how like, this isn't what she wanted. And my heart goes out to somebody who just kind of stumbles into a level of fame or success and feels the negativity behind it, right? Like you're doing something that you're naturally good at. You're not doing a performance. You're sharing with people. Your aim is to connect with people. Your aim is to have joy. But yet the volume of people lends itself to criticism, right? There's that saying, I don't know if it's still used as much as it used to be, but for a while it's like, you don't know, you, the way you know that you have made it is when you the critics come out, something like that, right? Like critics are your sign that you've made it. And I've never liked that phrase because I'm super sensitive to critics. And, and I think, well, that almost makes me not want to quote, make it. That makes me not want to be successful or famous, because I don't want to live my life with tons of criticism. 
In fact, right now in my journey as a creator, I feel so at ease. Podcasting so far, I've barely received criticism. Like there's only a couple people that have come out of the woodwork and been rude. Every once in a while, someone's called me out in a positive way. I'm so grateful for people who've you know, helped me understand things like cultural appropriation, helped me understand when they felt triggered by something that I've said or the way that I've said it, and they've guided me towards a different direction that I can try. I That even it stings, it doesn't always feel good to hear that stuff, but it's really helpful. So it's a good sting. It's a good discomfort because it helps me evolve in a way where I can be more aware of myself. But I don't yearn to be famous in the way that I used to. And this goes back to being younger and thinking like fame was the end goal. You know, going back to that 10-year-old self, like I think a lot of teenagers have that desire. And I've even heard that children who don't feel like they get a lot of attention from their friends, family, other peers, you know, or people that have felt bullied, disliked, they actually have a tendency to want to be famous because it's like they're looking for the validation they didn't receive from their community. So they look for it outside their community. And and that resonates with me. I've often reflected, like, is that why I've desired fame? I kind of thought it might be a universal experience. And maybe it is. Like maybe so many of us have felt like we're not getting the love or validation from people we know. So we seek for from people we don't know. And social media is like shortcut that. That even is interesting about dating. Another thing that my guest Mike brought up in our conversation, he touched very briefly on this. I can't remember. It was, I think it was towards the middle or the end of the episode. He brings up online dating and the the challenge with that is that we have so much choice. It always seems like it's possible that we could get someone better than who we're currently with. So a lot of people have trouble being monogamous or settling down with a partner because the apps have trained us to believe that there's always going to be someone slightly better, right? Maybe better looking, maybe that we're more sexually attracted to, maybe somebody who has the same interests of us. Like These apps have made it so easy for us to vet people. And they've trained us to scroll and scroll and scroll that we always wonder there's going to be something else, just like TikTok does. You know, it's trained me for sure to go on there and get my dopamine hits. And it's like, oh, this this video didn't quite do it for me. So let me scroll the next one. And like, I find myself just scrolling until like I've filled up my cup enough (laughs) that I could turn off the app. And I haven't used online dating apps in years. Thank goodness, to be honest, I have not needed to for if need is the right word, but I just don't want to be in that space of constantly feeling, A, there could be a better guy for me, or B, that somebody's thinking that about me. And speaking of performance, I certainly don't like the performance it feels like in like a city like Los Angeles, where I feel like I have to post the right photos. Just by creating a profile on some of these dating platforms feels like a performance. I have to write the right words. I have to say the right thing in my conversation. And is how much of that is really me, right? And that's been part of the turnoff with social media too. It's not that different from dating profiles, let's be honest, especially platforms like Instagram, which are about the highlight reel. It's like 
taking the perfect photo, posting it, editing a little bit, writing a caption. And it's all about controlling the narrative of how people perceive us. And I'm just not interested in that. (laughs) And it sucks. Like I actually took a pause from posting on the Wellevator Instagram, which is the account attached to this podcast. It's been, let's see, maybe a month, month, month and a half as of the time of this recording. I haven't posted anything on there because I found myself hit with this emotion of not wanting to do it. It feels like a burden. And the burden I think is because I don't want to be formulaic. I don't want to do things just to perform. And frankly, the results are not that great. The only result that feels important to me on that platform, but probably in most of my life, is connecting with people and giving them the information that they want. Like if I could help someone like you find this podcast faster and they enjoy this podcast, that's fulfilling to me, right? That is the purpose of marketing in my head of like, can I help get people what they want or what they need? But it's pretty hard to do that effectively on social media as a whole. And so I just wanted to pause. And yet every week when the timeline comes up, so I have have like my to-do list set up with reoccurring tasks. And one of them is to post clips for the podcast Every week I see that recurring task and I go, nah, don't feel like doing this. Don't want to do it. And every time I think that to myself, I feel bad, mainly because this Wellevator Instagram has been all about the guests and I want to honor them. I have told them that I'm going to share on social media and I haven't done it. So I feel like I'm maybe letting them down. But my current mentality is that they will understand and one day I will catch up and share it just like one day I plan to get videos like this one on YouTube. And the YouTube side of it is kind of the same feeling. Although if you haven't watched the YouTube channel for the show, it's very raw. In fact, the videos are very minimally edited, if at all. The only thing I've been editing recently is like cutting out I don't know, any random things I've done funny behind the scenes moment. Back when Jason was co-hosting the show with me, the way I used to edit the show was it would focus on the person that was talking and you could not see the person who wasn't talking. So when Jason would speak on the show, that would be my opportunity to eat something sometimes or to drink something or like pick my teeth (laughs) So there's all these clips of me that I've edited out because I'm embarrassed of, you know, me doing stuff like that. And generally, I don't care if somebody sees me drinking water or whatever. But like there are moments where there's one in particular. I was eating these green algae tabs and they got all stuck in my teeth and it was very uncomfortable. And also like you could see it in my teeth. So behind the scenes, I'm like picking my teeth, trying to get all the chunks out and rinsing my mouth before I spoke. So I had to edit that out. Oh yeah. If you go back, you could probably find which episode, although I think I did a good job editing that. But yeah, for the most part, the YouTube videos are very raw versus the audio that you're like listening to right now on the audio only version of the podcast that's edited by the team that I work with. So you'll hear differences. It's the gaps are cut out and 
mistakes are taken out. So it's just a, a contrast. But it, I digress. My point bringing that the YouTube is that it does take work for me to edit. And as I mentioned earlier, I just feel drained by it. So it's it's that ethos of, well, do I want to do something that drains me? And if so, what is the purpose? To be honest, not a lot of people watch the podcast YouTube channel. So it's a lot of work for very little payoff. But if the people that watch those videos told me, I love these videos so much, Whitney, I wish that you would do them more often. I want to see every episode on YouTube. If I heard that from even three people, let's say, it would be worthwhile for me. And this is what I mean when it comes down to transactional versus that connected emotion that I am constantly seeking. If I, as cliche as it sounds, if I just know that a few people are positively impacted by something that I do, that is so much more nourishing than having thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of quote followers. And that's why I've stepped away from so much of the work I used to do on social, even for this podcast. Cause I think like, I don't want to do this just for numbers. I don't want to do this just to be performative, to try to prove myself, my worthiness as a lot of us feel compelled to do on social. I know that I'm worthy. I do have a, a deep self-love and confidence. It's not perfect. As I mentioned, I certainly have my insecurities and my triggers. I think I probably always will, but I don't need to get likes on Instagram. I don't need to go viral on TikTok. And I've also detached myself from a lot of the financial elements of that stuff too. I, I probably have mentioned before how my work for many years was connected to all of that. So if I grew my following, I could make more money. If I got X amount of viewers on videos, I could make more money. I could get sponsors. I could have affiliates. I could have ads, all of those avenues for monetization. But in order to do that, I felt like I was kind of selling my soul because that put me in a place of being more performative, strategic for the sake of transaction. And that's not part of my core value. If I go back to my teenage self, that's not what she wanted. There's a trend going around on TikTok right now that I'm. it feels a little old to me and it probably will be old by the time this episode comes out because TikTok moves so quickly. But as of mid-June 2022, I've seen a lot of videos and it's like a, it starts off with a clip of an adult or adult being at whatever age uh, you want to call it. anyone over 18, probably maybe even teenagers. So let's say somebody 15 years plus. Okay. And the caption on the, or the screen says like, I realized I was doing it for her, or I realized I was doing this for him, or she would be so proud of me now. And, sh and she, him, or I'm sure maybe the other pronouns like they, them would be in all caps to emphasize it. And then the video would cut to photos or videos of their younger selves, like five years old or something. And the point of this current trend on TikTok is that when we realize how proud our younger selves would be of how far we've come, or we realize that what's most important to us is something that we felt when we were kids, that's like 
a big moment, a moment of self-awareness. Right. And I feel that like, even though that trend feels a little cliche, like it, I think it's become a big trend because it really resonates with us where when we can connect back to what was important to us before we were super influenced by the outside world, it reminds us of our deeper joy and purpose and that purity that we had. There's another video along the same lines of a man talking about how as kids, we haven't developed habits yet. Like, I guess our brains probably don't have a tendency to to have the habits, but we're also so young that like a habit is very short, right? It's not like we've been doing it for years in most cases. And I was thinking about how interesting that that perspective is like, wow, like as kids, we're we have a tendency to be more in the moment. We tend to be very sensitive. We tend to feel joy over smaller things. Like life just feels simpler for many of us, not all, depends on how we're raised. But that cliche exercise of going back to who we were back then and trying to remove all of the influence that we've taken on from others and all the the messaging and the education and the conditioning, how in many ways that's taken us farther away from what we've really wanted, you know? And it also helps us connect back to deeper gratitude. One of my friends was posting, I don't know if she was doing the trend, but she said something along the lines of, wow, like, here's what I'm doing in my life right now. And if you had told me 10 years ago, that this is how my life would be. I'd be so excited for myself. I'd be so proud. And that almost gets me choked up because also another point that Mike brought up in the episode coming out next Friday is that we can get so caught up in the pursuit of happiness that we in the present moment never feel as happy as we hope to be in the future. These are not his exact words, but this idea that the pursuit, the chase of happiness can keep us in a place of never feeling happy, never feeling satisfied, never feeling content because we're going after more and more and more all the time. But what if instead in this present moment, you can try this right now, like think back to some of your memories from childhood or your teens, maybe college, like what felt important to you back then and how much of that have you achieved? I bet you could find all sorts of little moments because that person is still there within you. Those desires are probably still there and you've probably achieved all sorts of things. You know, for me, it could be as simple as the first thing that comes to mind was a computer. You know, I've loved computers for as long as I can remember. I think a lot of us appreciate them. They're part of our lives now. When I was growing up with my dad just having his computer that I could occasionally access after school or on the weekends, I would get this limited window of time. Might not have even been every day. Like my dad's very protective over his computer (laughs) to this day. And so like my sister and I had to like follow his rules, do it on his time. So like computers just felt amazing. And then when I was in later on in high school, and then when I went to film school, my dad bought me a computer for film school, but it was a PC. (laughs) No shade to PCs. But back in the day, film school, like 
Apple computers were like the main type of computer that you would use to edit videos. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to edit all my projects. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of at least affordable software that I could use on my particular computer. So I think I had the same computer all throughout college. And when I moved from Boston to Los Angeles, my parents had it shipped to me and we made a mistake, which was to ship it in the box that it came in. So you could see from the outside what was in the inside of the package and it never arrived. It was actually a heartbreaking moment that I was thinking about recently out of the blue. I remember I had an internship. My I, So when I moved to Los Angeles, I was finishing up my last semester of college. They have a program in Los Angeles to help people transition from college to working in the Hollywood industry. And I was working at this production co- or was it technically development company, basically meaning that they would develop scripts and projects to be sold or turned into movies or TV shows. That was my first internship. And I was there around this time where I realized that my computer was lost because I had shipped out to my college housing and it never showed up there. And I spent like weeks trying to locate it I can't even remember if we had tracking on it. We definitely had insurance, but I was devastated because everything was saved on there. This is before I think I had an external hard drive. This is before cloud storage. So I was not savvy or prepared about backing up. I, th- I actually had like maybe some USB flash drives. I had maybe some things stored on CD-ROMs and stuff like that. Like I was just bare bones backing things up or storing things elsewhere. But so much of my digital life was wiped out because that computer never arrived. And I was devastated. I remember being at my internship and one of the guys that I, that worked at the company I was interning at, he was like, oh, brush it off, let it go. You can get a new computer. And I felt so... Uh, what's the term? He was like minimizing the pain of all those memories of the photos that I had stored on there and all my documents and my fears. Like I was like, these documents have my social security number on there. What if they hack into it? They can get all my data. I felt so vulnerable and just sad. And he didn't acknowledge my sadness. So then I tried to toughen up. I was like, oh, he's probably right. I'll get over it. But to this day, it still feels sad and painful. I wonder like what was on that computer that I'll never see again. And also the violating feeling of someone stealing my computer. And it was like a cheap computer, PC, it's like this big tower, you know, like probably was worth a few hundred dollars. Like why it was stolen is beyond me. However, the silver lining for that story is we were wise enough to get insurance and the insurance covered the cost of the computer. I I got at least $500 or so back and the computer is probably not worth it at that point. And I got a good chunk of money to put towards the purchase of my first Mac computer. And for those that you don't, that don't know, that became a huge part of my life because that inspired me to apply to work for the Apple store. And I worked at the Apple store 
from 2005 to 2012. And it was a really big part of my life. So getting that computer to tie this back to my younger self, like Apple computers felt so expensive. They are expensive, especially compared to the PC my dad bought me. Like my parents wouldn't have bought me that Apple computer. Like it was at least twice the cost of the PC. And so it just felt out of reach. Just like when I was a little girl trying to figure out how to be an actress, it felt out of reach to me because I didn't have that money. Although technically I was able to save up for the camera I got. Like that was huge. That camera probably, I think cost a 900 to $1,000. And that was a ton of money for me. So saving it for a $2,000 Apple computer, like felt almost impossible. But because I lost my old computer, I got money to put towards the Apple. And it's those little moments that you look back and think, wow, like how excited and, and, and something that maybe I take for granted now. Now, fast forward to where I am in my life. I've had multiple Apple computers. I'm, I'm recording this on my MacBook Pro that's about four years old now and going strong. <laughs> and gosh, this is probably my at least my third Apple laptop. I have had multiple desktop Macs as well. And like, you know, looking back to how it felt almost impossible to get one computer and to have had at least five of these fancy computers since then, it's cool. You know, like there's so many things I could go on and on and I'm not trying to brag. It's just like, sometimes we take for granted the things that our younger selves would have just been complete of, or things that we didn't think were possible or things that we thought were so hard or so far off. And that's such a cool way to find some joy and gratitude in your life. And I think also going back to this performative transactional side of life that doesn't appeal to me. Like I would so much rather feel some of the that simple joy than chase after the joy of having a lot of money. Even the, the going back to the fame side, like when I see people like Elise crying because she's become so well-known that critics are coming out of the woodwork, why I don't even know, like Elise is one of those, in my current perception of her, not a problematic creator because she just doesn't feel like she's trying hard. She feels just like she's being herself. She's not trying to impress people. Maybe she is, but it doesn't come across that way. And like, what bad things could you say about her? I don't know. I'm, maybe there's, I'm sure there's something in there, but it's, it's sad, that sad reality that even someone authentic, and heartfelt like her, she who seems deserving of success is crying because that feels so unpleasant. And I've experienced that in little ways, like little chips and little criticisms and trolling. And I've, you know, most creators experience that at some point, but to have that on a consistent basis and to have, you see all these stories of celebrities and like how, oh, it seems like they've got it made because they're famous and they have all this money. And, you know, look at the Kardashians. Gosh, speaking of, well, I'm not going to get into it. I've I've talked about them a little bit here and there recently. But those women have so much money, but they're criticized constantly left and right. 
It's almost like they've had to create their lives in a way to constantly deflect criticism. Can you imagine? I certainly don't want to go about my life. What a waste of time. Not to be judgy, but like, do I want to waste my time deflecting criticism every day? How exhausting, you know? Like as a podcaster, the big names like Joe Rogan, your thoughts and my thoughts of of what he does aside, he's kind of in the same boat. I'm sure every single day someone's trying to tear him down, call him out, whether or not that's valid, another story, but that's intense. And yet a lot of podcasters aspire to be at that level. Even Brene Brown tied to the Joe Rogan situation. Like she got so much criticism for some of her decisions there. She's also a big well-known name and she has a podcast too. And she's somebody that I could easily look up to and aspire to be, but don't know if I want to deal with that stuff. A lot of these people have huge teams behind them. They kind of need to, to manage everything. I'm not sure that I want that. Right now, I have one person that assists me very part-time. That's all I have right now. Everything else I do on my own. And you know what? It makes it pretty easy. The only thing that person's assisting me with right now is responding to some emails and some messages that I don't have the bandwidth to write out myself. That's all I really need. And do I want more that would require me to have all these other people around me. You know what that does is it creates buffers. And as I said, I don't know if I want a buffer between me and someone like you, right? This is why I created Beyond Measure, my private community, if you haven't heard me talk about it. It's my passion project because every week I connect face-to-face through virtually right now with people like yourself And they're people I've met through the podcast, through Instagram, YouTube. We come together as a group. We connect in real time. We have deep conversations. That is like the ultimate source of joy. It continues to amaze me. And I think right now, like that's like kind of maybe my biggest goal (laughs) I also have the privilege at this time of generating income from other sources. I mentioned in the past, I used to make money from all this content. And I do, as I think I've shared this exact statement before, but just to tie it into the context, like I, I do have sponsors from time to time on this show, but I'm really particular about who I work with because first of all, I don't want to just constantly be what's the term, hawking products. (laughs) I've thought about that a lot recently where in the past, I used to spend so much time on YouTube and social media promoting products. Right now on my desk, I have this box from Goddess Provisions, a subscription box I've had for years, really enjoy them. But this box is on my desk sitting here because I don't know how else to talk about them other than what I'm doing right now in this moment, right? Like in the past, I would have, and you could see this, there's tons of examples of this on this podcast, examples of this on my social. I would do all these cliche things of unboxing and I'm not judging it or what's the word? 
I'm not trying to be rude by using my, I'm using like a mocking term, but I'm emphasizing those words because they feel cliche because they've been done so many times by me and other people. And like, I don't even know what to do anymore. So in this goddess provisions box, there's, let's see, my favorite thing in here thus far is the spoon, right? So I love this spoon. So pretty. If you're not watching this video, it's a gold spoon and it's got the word shine bright printed on it. But I just love like the feeling of it. It's got really good texture. So when I got this in the box, I was like, this is cool. There's also these little superfood packets of this matcha chlorella mixture. And I haven't tried it yet. And so I'm thinking like, gosh, how could I even do content around this? Like, I don't know when I'm going to try these. <laughs> There's a bath bomb in there, which looks really nice, but I haven't tried it yet. So what am I going to do? Put it in the bathtub and shoot a video? I used to do that. I used to purposefully try out products, film me trying them and reacting to them just for the video. So it was a performance. But in all honesty, I haven't felt like taking a bath with the bath bomb. So I'm going to save this. And if history is any indication of the present or the future, I probably won't use this for months, maybe a year. Like I have to push myself to use a bath bomb. I often save them because I want to be like in the right mood to be craving a bath bomb. And that might happen to me a few times a year, right? Same thing with this matcha. It sounds great. It looks really nice, but I don't drink a ton of matcha these days. So why should I drink this just so I can promote it? Just so I can sell more products for somebody else and make like a fraction of that money? That's also the bizarre side. And I'm ranting a little bit here, but to like give you perspective until how the like influencer industry currently works, it kind of like makes my skin crawl because companies will hire someone like me to make a video that's probably really creative, really cool, and has a level of authenticity to it. And then they'll pay that creator a percentage based on how much they think they're going to sell from that creator. So in other words, Whitney has X amount of followers. And if 10% of those followers buy her product, we'll make this amount of money. So let's give Whitney whatever fraction of that to promote this. And that way we'll make a profit from working with Whitney. That's how it works. And it makes sense from a business standpoint. But like from a capitalism standpoint, it's a little disturbing because first of all, it's not based on equality because I'm getting paid far less to do something that gives someone far more benefit. And that I know that that's how things work. But on like a human to human level, I would so much rather be equal. Like how about we both make the same amount of money? Now, of course, in the company's sense, they're spending money to produce things like this on and on. Like, I'm not saying it's that simple of a concept, but that dynamic does not feel good to me. It feels like I'm being used and it feels like I'm using you. That's the deeper issue here is that I don't want to use you and manipulate you to spend your money just so I can make some money from the company because the company is making money from you. Like on a deep level, doesn't feel great to me. And that's no shade to goddess provisions or these companies. 
I appreciate them. They send me this box for free. I'm grateful for it, right? I'm happy to promote things I actually use. I'm happy to recommend things to you that I feel like are of value. But gone are the days where I will promote anything or anything that I like, right? Like for example, again, this this matcha, it looks really cool. I, I read the ingredients. I'm like, oh, I like all that stuff. I'm sure it tastes good. I'm sure it'll be pretty. It's going to be photogenic. Like I could think down like the perfect video to make. I probably would enjoy making the video. But also when I think back to when I was doing all that work, every time I would post a sponsored video, something in me felt unsettled. Something, there was like a little voice. Maybe it was my little self. <laughs> Probably not. It was almost like a little angel on my shoulder or whatever, like saying, this isn't quite right. You know? And like, I would ignore that voice because I thought that voice was insecurity. But in hindsight, I think that voice was saying, you're trying to make money off of other people and not in a fully authentic way. You're doing this to, you're performing for the company. You're performing for the social media audience and you're just, you're trying to make money. Even if you align with something, like I would try so hard and still do because again, I occasionally work with sponsors. I try so hard to ensure that I align with them. Goddess provisions I align with currently, like based on what I know of them, based on my experience with them, I align with them. I'm happy to talk about them. Usually the products in there seem ethical, like it checks off all these boxes, right? But it's still that question at what cost. And I, when I really pay attention to this inner voice, it says, Hey, Whitney, why don't you pause posting on social media? It's because there's part of me. It feels like it's not nourishing. It's not worth it. It doesn't feel in full alignment. And the only reason I often do is because of some sort of societal pressure. Because I think, well, I want to please the guest that was on my podcast. I want to honor them. That feels like one of the more legitimate reasons to post. But I hesitate because of people like you, right? Like, does this add value to your life? Hopefully, Hopefully it does. I think that you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if it didn't serve some value to you. And maybe you like seeing the post on Instagram because it tells you a little bit about the upcoming guest, right? That makes some sense. And so ultimately, I'm just feeling a little burnt out. I need some creative inspiration and I'll get back to Instagram likely in the future. When it comes to posting and working with other companies, the last few years, I've just had constant pause because it doesn't feel just something feels off about it. Like I've verbalized, I think there's even more to it. It's a deeper thing I could probably dive into in a whole new episode. So it's given me a lot of opportunity to pause and reflect and not feel rushed. As I said, towards the beginning of this episode, it's important to tune into yourself to reflect on on yourself, to tie into like your younger self and what mattered. And it's okay to do things on a different timeline than others. It's okay to do things differently. As I've been saying so much recently, like coloring outside the lines and finding out what really works for you and finding the confidence is so key. 
With all that said, there are a couple other random things I wanted to share. (laughs) I was planning to do this towards the beginning and then like I just got into some flow. I, about a week ago, decided to do a juice cleanse. I think I had mentioned on a recent episode that I've been struggling with my food sensitivities. And now I'm not even sure if it is food sensitivities because my symptoms feel confusing and complex. And it's a bit discouraging because as I mentioned recently that I've been struggling off and on with food sensitivities most of my life, but definitely the past 20 years. And I went to all these doctors and tried to figure it out. And it was like every doctor just kind of shrugged. It's so depressing. Like the mainstream medical industry, it's shocking how either there's ignorance or there's a lack of systems in place to properly help people and like evaluate them. Especially for me with my current insurance, like I get the bare minimum care from doctors. Generally, it's fine though. Like I'm very grateful for the coverage I have and it's good enough. But for something more complex, like my sleep disorder, as I mentioned in the episode I did a few months ago, I think, about me going to the sleep clinic and not getting any answers and literally doctors just saying, oh, you're fine. And it's like, I know I'm not fine. It's not in my head. I have some sleep issue. I would love to fix it, but haven't figured it out. And I don't seem to be getting much help. So it's like I would have to dedicate so much of my life to figuring something out. And I currently don't have the bandwidth to do that. My food sensitivities though, I felt like I had them figured out. And then this past month, they have just gone wild or my body is going through something. And for some reason, multiple times a week having these flare-ups. And for me, that would be inflammation, like just feeling like my body was puffy and heavy and tired and having the sniffling and the sneezing and the brain fog and just awful, like so many days in the past month, I felt that way. And a week ago, I was like, that's it. I can't do this anymore. I'm going on a juice cleanse, like literally within a matter of hours, I got a plan together. And for me, I didn't feel great about paying a ton of money for it. Like I just not in a financial place where I want to just throw $200 to try to solve this problem. I did all this research and was felt very frustrated, but I'm excited to share with you a solution I found, which is Trader Joe's. <laughs> this is so cool. I almost want to do like a blog post, even though I barely blog these days, I almost want to do a dedicated blog post about how to do a cleanse with only Trader Joe's. It was remarkable. At least right now in June 2022, you can go to Trader Joe's if there's one near you and they have organic cold pressed juice there, which is very similar to the juices from major companies and juice places. Now, of course, quality might not be quite as good as a local juice shop. It's not going to be as fresh. I don't know how long they're on the shelf for, but lowest price I could find. And I looked at a ton of different places locally in Los Angeles. The one place I was leaning towards came out to be about $5.50 per bottle of juice. And I almost went there to buy from them. 
but a lot of their stuff just didn't feel that appealing to me. I kind of wanted something really basic. My desire to do a cleanse was like, I just want to take a break from solid food and also take a break from more processed food because I was wondering if some of my reactions were coming from like specific ingredients and processed foods, or I basically needed to narrow down why I was having these reactions and a juice cleanse felt like the best way for me to pause, reset, reevaluate. And long story short, after researching online cleanses, places that could deliver to me within a day, like I I felt a sense of urgency. I, I was like, it was a Wednesday, I think. And I want to start on the Thursday. Like I could not wait. And so I went to Trader Joe's that Wednesday night and was so thrilled to see they have cold pressed organic green juice, a cold pressed organic red juice, which was like beet based. They also have the most amazing organic coconut smoothie. Organic's important to me. Now, if you don't align with organic way of, of drinking juice, there were some, I think there was some non-organic things, but I think the default there was organic. So that's why I'm emphasizing this. The coconut smoothie was just coconut water and coconut meat blended together. And it was, is magical. <laughs> like, Oh my God. At least when I was doing my cleanse, I, I think I bought it for the first time, like maybe on my third day of the cleanse. And so at that point, my body thought everything tasted amazing because your taste buds change so much in just a day or two, at least like the perception of taste. So those three items, plus they had or have right as of right now, a celery juice from Suja, which makes organic juices, like name brand Suja. And it was like celery juice and lemon, I think was in it. Plus a apple cider vinegar, lemon maple drink, which is kind of like the master cleanse. I've done that a few times, but didn't want to do that this time. I don't think it's the greatest thing to do for your body, but you know, depends on your philosophy. Anyways, they had a kind of version of that with added apple cider vinegar and probiotics. And then they also have this large container, meaning the other drinks I just listed were, I think maybe somewhere between 10 ounces to 16 ounces. And the large drink was 32 ounces. And it's also a organic green juice, but I think they called it something different. They didn't call it juice. <laughs> It's called something different because they added mint tea to it, I think is the reason. But I bought that too. And I think that was what I purchased. They also currently have an organic watermelon juice. Actually, let me pause. I didn't buy it, so I don't remember if it was organic or not. But it's a watermelon juice for sure, just watermelon. They have a pineapple juice, orange juice. I'm just listing all this off because I didn't know they had all of those things. I don't pay attention to that. And I go to Trader Joe's all the time. Now, not only do they have those products, but the price was amazing, is amazing. <laughs> because the highest price, well, for the small bottles was $3.99. And compared to the average I was finding, which was about 5 or $6 per juice on, a, on one of these other prepackaged cleanses, or at the local juice shop I looked at, it was $5.50, as I mentioned. So bringing it down to $3.99, especially now where food prices are going way up, 
don't quote me on those prices because with the current inflation, those prices could certainly go up. Fingers crossed they do not because having access to that, when I could just go to Trader Joe's, load up on those things and immediately start a juice cleanse was like, I was just a blown away. <laughs> you know, like when you have gratitude for access to something that's affordable and nearby, I just was thrilled. I haven't yet checked to see prices on stuff like that at some of the other stores I shop at, like Whole Foods and Sprouts, because I was just fully satisfied with Trader Joe's. And I did about five, four or five days of mostly juice. But I decided for each of those days that I would have one meal at dinner time because I had a bunch of produce that I didn't want to go to waste. So I wasn't sure, and I'm still not sure as of the time of this recording, if I would continue drinking juice and like ease myself in and do like a few days of only juice and no solid food. But I found myself really thinking about why I was doing what I was doing. And unlike other times where I've done strict cleanses, meaning like no solid food, following intense protocols, I realized like this was for me, by me, based on my intuition. And when I combined intuitive eating with cleansing, I found a whole new meaning to it. So I didn't need to like deprive myself of solid food. The reason I was doing that cleanse was to give myself a break from feeling all those horrible food-related symptoms and to figure out what foods were triggering those symptoms. So I decided that my meals each night would be like the simplest vegetable-based meals. So for example, one night I just had zucchini and yellow squash because that was what was in my fridge. That's it. I think I added some oil, some salt and pepper to it. And it tasted magnificent because I had been juicing all day. So to have that as my first solid meal, it was just like, wow, like such a simple food made me so happy. The, another day I had green beans. I just steamed them and I think I might've put some oil on them. Salt and pepper probably. They were incredible. One night I had romaine lettuce chopped up with, what did I add to it? maybe cucumbers or something, simple as salad. And I normally make salads with tahini, nutritional yeast, pumpkin seeds, and olives. But I don't know yet if any of those foods are causing reactions. I haven't added them into my diet. Been kind of afraid of them (laughs) because I'm like, something in my regular way of eating is causing a reaction for me because it's happening so frequently. So it was fascinating to eat so simply because the juicing helped me appreciate the food so much that it tasted great. Unlike how I was eating before I juiced, like those simple meals wouldn't have felt filling. Those simple meals would not have felt satisfying or exciting. And that deep appreciation for food in that way is just like so valuable to me. I didn't expect that, you know, 
Plus, it was so interesting. I could, again, I could do a whole episode, but I'm trying to summarize this quickly because it's getting long. I had coffee for the first time today, which has been almost a full week since I started cleansing. And it was the intuitive decision to have coffee. And I've only had a little bit of it. I'm looking at my cup on my desk. I haven't even finished it. But once I stop recording, actually, I'm going to have a sip right now because it's it's getting late I try not to have caffeine this late, but actually, no, if I drink it right now, I'm going to rush it. I'm going to save it till I'm done recording and I'm going to savor that coffee. And it was so interesting because I had been in this pattern of drinking coffee every morning. And then oftentimes a few hours later, I loved my routine of making lattes. I have this espresso machine and to take a break from something that I love so much actually wasn't hard because I was doing it for this deeper reason, right? I thought the first day, like, I'll just see how I feel. And I'm fortunate not to get caffeine withdrawal. Like I don't get headaches. I didn't feel any different except after about five, however many days I've lost track. I don't know if today's day seven or six. I said a week, but you know how like, actually, let's see, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it has been seven days of doing this protocol I came up with myself. And I noticed today how I felt so much energy all week. So I'm not drinking coffee for energy. I drink coffee for pleasure. But it was really good to take a break from it because I was wondering, am I reacting to coffee or the milk I'm using? Like This is how ambiguous my food sensitivities were. I could not place them. So long-winded story to share that If you thought about doing something like this, Trader Joe's is awesome. If you have one near you, you could certainly juice by yourself, like on your own. If you're wondering, I do have a great juicer, but I realized like all the time it would take for me to go to the store. Well, first of all, to prep a bunch of recipes, I have to figure out like how many of whatever produce I needed, what recipes I wanted to make go to the store or wait for the next farmer's market, get all these products. Like it probably would have ended up spending a close to the same amount of money given how inexpensive Trader Joe's was, but a lot more time. And of course it's more ideal from an environmental standpoint, waste standpoint. I was using a number of plastic bottles, but considering that I was able to do this quickly and take care of myself and really feel like I got that break that I needed, it felt like the best route for me. And because I wasn't ordering from online or going to a store, like there's probably a little bit more waste getting things from the grocery store. I don't know. That would be my guess. But it really worked out great. And to tie the intuitive eating side into it. So again, versus how I would have cleansed in the past, which had been like really strict. I'm only going to do liquids, you know? The fact that I had the philosophy of not wanting to waste food, which inspired me to eat meals and cut, like it was my way of like, quote, giving myself permission. I got to feel out what it was like to juice all day and then eat at night. And then the last few days I started adding in lunch again and just feeling that out. Like, how did it feel to have two meals a day? How did it feel to eat specific foods? And what I have been doing is eating really basically. So it actually broadened 
the way that I was eating in some unique ways, for instance, last night for dinner and today for lunch, I just had artichokes and I dipped them in some simple vegan butter that didn't have a ton of ingredients. And it was like the most satisfying meal, like just artichokes. And that's been like my aim is to eat really basic, almost mono meals, although I'm still adding usually some sort of oil and salt and occasionally black pepper, but I haven't used garlic. I don't think I've had garlic at all because I wanted to see if that was impacting me. I did have some onion, the fresh onion, but normally, you know, I'm loading on like the nutritional yeast and all the spices and like my meals would have like 10 plus ingredients in them to really hone in and have maybe four ingredients in a, in a dish was really cool. And in a way that kind of preps me for some bigger things because another episode I could do in the future is about my feelings on the recession and inflation. I've been thinking a ton about this recently and just wondering like what happens if all these food costs go way up and almost feel out of reach as some people are concerned about. Do I want to start making my own food? Do I want to start growing more food? And does that mean I'm going to simplify my diet a lot? I've been doing a ton of research, starting to do some actual actions, growing some foods, planning a garden, like things I've been wanting to do, but haven't felt super inspired. And so eating simply and also barely eating packaged foods was such a cool experience for me too, because I'm someone that typically will eat a bag of chips or get some sweets. Like I love trying all sorts of vegan chocolates or vegan gummies I get super into. And those are things that I was frequently putting in my body. And it's like, maybe my body was having trouble navigating the complexities of like a vegan gummy bear that has like tons of ingredients in it. I tend to eat low sugar or sugar-free. So what are these sweeteners doing to me? You know, like really stepping back to evaluate these individual ingredients, how they impact my body and my budget is interesting. And it's like, I want to lean more towards foods I could grow. You know, I found myself craving potato a few times this past week since I've been on a relatively low carb diet off and on for four years now. I'm not strict about it. I've talked about this in an episode with my friend Elizabeth earlier this year. I think it came out either at the very end of of 2021 or in late December or the first week of this year. That was a super popular episode. It was interesting because low carb keto can be so polarizing. But I love Elizabeth's take because she and I both look at vegan like like the plant-based low carb way of eating as an intuitive process, not a strict restrictive dietary thing. You know, both of us struggle with food sensitivities and have found ourselves more interested in higher or uh, higher fat foods. But anyways, what was my point in going there? <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Wow, that's crazy. It probably had something to do with with growing food and eating more simply and all of that. Oh, the potato. That's what it was. 
So I don't generally eat a ton of potato. I do love potato chips and French fries, but like I try to have them in moderation. And it was super interesting how through the juice cleanse, several days in, I started craving potato. So I actually made my own French fries in the air fryer and they were super simple, just cutting up some potatoes, soaking them in cold water. That's a good trick. And then I put some oil on them, which you don't have to do in an air fryer, but I don't, I'm not afraid of oil or against oil, I should say. Put some oil, salt and pepper on them, air fried them. And they were like, oh, so nourishing. <laughs> and it was like, wow, okay, this is intuitive eating because especially through cleansing, like you feel more aware of what foods you really want versus what's just a craving or what's some, something that's just meant to make you feel good, give you a burst of like feel good emotions. You know, sometimes I eat, emo- a lot of times I eat emotionally and I was able to get more in tune with that. And then also to savor these foods, like the French fries that I made were like the bulk of my meal that night. You know, they weren't just like a side dish. They were like something I was eating intentionally and enjoying every bite of and just you know, not attaching any of that old guilt, not thinking about the carb content and all of that. And so the cleanse was so freeing, but it actually helped me refocus on simple vegetables so that whenever I decide to pause on the juicing and just go back to eating solid foods and coffee, as I usually do, that it's like I'm more tuned in to myself and what makes me feel good physically and emotionally and not feeling so drawn to a lot of the packaged foods that probably weren't making me feel so good. And I'm not against packaged foods, although from an environmental standpoint, there's another big benefit to cutting back on that. And from the budget side, I think a lot of our packaged food prices are going to go way up or currently are. Certainly, we'll see the ripple effect on all sorts of single ingredient foods too, sadly. But the cool thing is, is those are a lot easier to grow. Those are easier to source from farmers directly as opposed from the grocery store. So I plan to dig into that subject matter at some point because it become very passionate. Last but not least, I teased this earlier and I want to make sure that I touch upon it today, but I, certainly another episode I plan to make is about my upcoming travels And as you have heard, if you've listened to a lot of recent episodes this year and in the past few years, I do road trips, love them. And I'm planning my next cross country trip. But before that, I am almost positive that I'm going to two international destinations, which is going to require me to fly in a plane for the first time since 2019. My last flight I think was in November, 2019. And I'm okay with that. Actually, I I was a little nervous that I, it would bring up some negative emotions, but I feel fully comfortable with it. I will be wearing my mask. I'm still big fan of wearing my mask. There's been spikes in COVID and I'm, I could see myself wearing a mask long-term just to avoid cold flus, whatever else. Like I like wearing a mask actually. So I'll be wearing that and I have my, all my little like protocols in place for protecting myself from all sorts of opportunities to get sick. 
that's another subject I don't mean to dive into now. But the reason is I was invited to go on a retreat in Costa Rica and got hired to support them with their marketing. So I definitely intend to share more about that because I really align with the purpose of this retreat. And that ties into what I was sharing earlier, how it's crucial for me to align with anyone I work with. And I don't think I got too much into it earlier, but most of my income comes from being hired uh, to help people with, with social media and marketing. And that almost sounds ironic given that I struggle with social media on my personal side, but I found that guiding other people towards intentional social media marketing really aligns with me because I can help people kind of uncover what's important for them and help them speak and connect with their audience on a whole new level. And I've found it deeply rewarding. I've been doing that work off and on since 2009. And I just really enjoy it. I like the strategy side of social media when I don't have to execute it myself. (laughs) Uh, So I do a lot of that work, but also just marketing in general, helping people figure out like, how can they find the ideal customer? How can they speak to them? How can they support them? And so my clients are almost exclusively really mindful related companies, not necessarily in the health and wellness. In fact, two of my main ongoing customer or clients right now are a podcast company. And the other one is a live stream video company, e-commerce. And this new client of mine is The Retreat. And they are having me as part of my work go to Costa Rica. And I've never been super excited. I've actually, to my recollection, never been on an official retreat like that. Depending on how long you've known me and my work, in 2013 or 14, I was part of a retreat in Costa Rica as well. And long story short, last minute, I didn't end up going So I participated in teaching the classes I was going to teach there virtually. So they like had me go on Zoom and teach the people in Costa Rica. It was really interesting. If you ever want to hear that story, send me a message. (laughs) I probably will tell it as I share more about this actual retreat I'm going on. So I'm excited. I've been learning so much about retreats and helping them come up with their you know, like really clarify the messaging. I've been encouraging them to prioritize diversity, which is really nourishing for me. That was actually in our meetings, like a key thing for me. I said, I need to be involved with projects that prioritize diversity in all different senses of that word, racially, age-wise, gender-wise, financial income-wise, like you know, physically, like including people that are not able-bodied, like really thinking about how can we make things available and inclusive to all different types of people. And fortunately, that's something that they're really working on and hopefully prioritizing more and more with my influence. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you more about that that retreat as it unfolds, but I, I have to book my flight. And I think I've just been 
overthinking it and and kind of getting in my head about it. So maybe by the time you hear this episode, I should have my flight book so I can fully confirm <laughs> that I'm doing this. And the other thing is a few months ago, my dad told me that he's going to Singapore for business. And this comes back around to when I mentioned him taking me to Australia when I was 14. Out of the blue, he was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to Singapore. Would you be interested in meeting me there? And how could I say no to that? I mean, it's going to cost me money to do it. Like he's not like paying for my ticket to get there. So it's an expense, but I am fortunate right now where I've actually have a whole savings account dedicated to travel because it's become a big priority for me. And because of my work with the retreat, I've been able to all make it work financially to go spend some time with my dad in Singapore. So those tickets have also yet to be purchased as of the time of this recording, but hopefully I'll get those booked and make it official. And man, I will have a lot to share with you before and after, just like my road trips, because it's such an interesting mental process for me to do something like that. It feels like really outside my comfort zone. It's definitely uncomfortable. If I think about it too much, I'm like, whoa, like, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to these places. Like, how's it going to, I mean, I could just go on and on, but I knew they were the right decisions because they both just felt good on that deep intuitive level that I've mentioned. They felt like things I was aligned with. And with my dad, it's like an opportunity to do something with him that I haven't done since I was 14. You know, like that's the only time my dad and I have, I think, I'm trying to even think, traveled together, like alone. We used to do family trips growing up, but that was so special to go to a foreign country with him. And even though I don't feel as attached to Singapore as I did to Australia back then, it's just like, how could I say no? Like I said before, that's what I keep coming back to is how could I say no? And focused more on what would my inner child want to do? You know, I've always deeply loved my dad. And even though there's a lot involved with it, I, I just feel called to do it. I just have to take the leap. And I remember thinking some of these same thoughts back in 2018, maybe 2017, I think it was 2018 that my boyfriend at the time and I went to Greece and I remember like having all this odd resistance to it. And I was like really nervous about booking my tickets. I remember when he brought it up, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And he was so financially supportive on that trip. Like it, it's not like money got in the way. He even helped me book my, like he was just like so involved and I kept coming up with like resistance and I pushed through the resistance and went, and it was amazing. And Greece had been on like my quote bucket list or my list of places to go. And it's so interesting and like noticing the resistance and the discomfort that comes up with even doing something that you really want to do. So it was a great lesson for me. And I'm, you know, still not fully through my resistance, obviously, because I haven't bought my tickets, but maybe I'll, I'm going to go look at them right now. I'm going to savor my coffee, go look at those tickets and then have some sort of wonderful dinner. What will I have tonight? I have a bag of kale. I have peppers, more zucchini, onions. This is like the kind of fun is I'll just go downstairs to the kitchen and just like look at 
the food and decide like, what is really calling me? What feels like I, what I want to eat? And that's what I'm going to have for dinner. So anyways, that is my share for you today. This has been a, a longer episode, kind of unusual for me to go this long with a, with a solo Monday episode. So thanks for listening. Appreciate you. And as I often mention these days, if you would like to connect, here are the ways to do that because connection is very important to me. Number one, feels like Instagram DMs are very easy for many of you. Even though I pause from Instagram, I still check it often. I use it a lot for messaging. So if you'd like to send me a message, there's two accounts you can use. One is the Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, Instagram. Or you can use my personal account, Wit Lauritsen, W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. Both will be linked in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. You can email me as well. The email is somewhere here. I don't know if it's linked. Maybe it'll be linked in the show notes, but my email is easy to find either here on the Wellevator website or my personal domain, which is WhitneyLauritsen.com. Very easy to find me. It's also on my Instagram actually. And I have a few email addresses, but I see them all. And Lastly, the Beyond Measure community, which remains free. I've mentioned how at some point this year, I do plan to charge a small membership fee, looking at somewhere between $5 to $10 a month just to help me cover the costs of it because it does take uh, financial and time resources to run that community. But it is such a big joy and it's not something that I look at for profit. It is a place to connect with you and to connect you to other amazing people. Like I can't stress enough how much that community has shifted and impacted my life and the members. It's really embodying community in ways that I haven't experienced before. And it's a great way for me to get to know you. I really do want to connect with you. So if you're not already in there, I would love to have you part of it. You can come check it out. We meet once a week. There's an event calendar there. So when you sign up, you can see that you can RSVP to join us. We meet on Zoom and we have a theme for each call. We do some sort of group exercise, which is completely optional. You can just sit there and observe or you can talk, you can share, you can participate however you want. And it'll give you a cool opportunity to connect with me in real time, which is kind of my ideal. So if that appeals to you, that'll be linked in the show notes for this too. Again, that's at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you're interested in future episodes, the easiest way to be notified of them is to subscribe and or sign up for the newsletter. I paused on that as well, actually. I haven't sent a newsletter in about a month because I'm reevaluating how I want to do that. So can't promise exactly when you'll get the next newsletter. But if you sign up, at least at some point, you'll, you'll find out some info. In the past, I used to email every week with a list of episodes. And I just wanted to reevaluate that. So if you have input on that, you can send it to me in an email or a message. Just hearing from you is my big goal and making sure that you're getting value from the show. I want you to know that your input is really helpful to me. So if you ever have requests or if you're really liking something, if you see opportunities for me to shift things, let me hear it. Thanks again for being part of my life through this podcast. And I'll be back on Friday.
with a guest episode. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.